Welcome to Beyond the Rig. Our focus is on connecting young professionals with the energy sector. Join the youth government energy team. Shane Wilson, Nisha Ramdas, Graham Jones. This season, we will be engaging in conversations with leaders from various companies within the energy value chain. Season greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Beyond the Rig. On this episode, we will be having a conversation with Joel Pemberton, the former managing director of DeNovo. Welcome, Joel, or as everybody knows you, yeah, within sure. the industry. It's indeed Monty. a pleasure to, to be part of this uh, podcast and uh, certainly look forward to hearing the other presenters and, and what they have to say and, 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 and what I can learn from them as well, because I really view everything as a learning experience. That's what, you know, uh, my journey has taught me. Um, so I'll start from just my career progression and I will really start from 17, when I was 17 years old at St. Mary's College. I decided in lower six that I wanted to do accounting. And my dad said, well, if you're going to do that, then it doesn't make sense you go to university back in those times, join one of the accounting firms and go through the apprenticeship program, apprenticeship slash mentorship program. You work and study and, and, and go through it. So literally a week after A-levels finished uh, in about that was 2000 and, no, 1993, sorry, I joined Winston Young and i was literally fresh off the boat um, i didn't expect to be working one week after a levels i started at the bottom um, the lowest level you could start in the organization because i was just 17 years old and i really started to enjoy and work pretty hard in various functions in that organization and maybe about two to three years in four of us got a scholarship from winston young to complete our ACCA studies in England. So I took that up and I went up and studied and finished my exams. And then when I came back to Trinidad, something changed um, fundamentally and brought me into the upstream energy sector. And that was the acquisition of Amoco by BP globally. And in Trinidad, the auditors for Amoco back then was PwC, but the auditors for BP was Winston Young. So that acquisition meant Ernst & Young became the auditors for BP, but they did not have an energy team, um, nor did I say the upstream experience back then, this is 1999 into 2000, to audit uh, energy, an upstream company of that size. And, and, and just noting that back in those days, Amoco slash BP was the biggest company on the island. So I was part of the, a five member team that went in uh, to start the audit process. And I was sort of one of the junior members the following year, I took over as a manager, uh, reporting into the London office, EY London office. After a year, we, we did a really good job as a team, and I really believe in the team spirit. Um, and then the London office asked me to move to London, where I then became the global account manager for the BP Upstream Audit globally, based in London, reporting to the audit partner that signed off on the BP Global Accounts. And what that allowed me to do is, one, um, see the global operations of BP Upstream, uh, really better understand how it worked globally. And of course, I got involved in other projects and so on um, within the EY Energy London office. Um, so pretty much saw everything and saw the globe. And that was a really good experience. Uh, EY Instinct uh, was really good to me. You know, they sent me on really good training courses to Cambridge Business Institute uh, and so on. And coincidentally, you know, one of the messages I'll come back to later on is, is networking. 
because there was one individual who was assigned to be my mentor. Ernst & Young was really big on mentoring back, well, they still are, um, and they had a formal mentoring scheme. And this is in the year 2000, 2001, 20 years ago. And believe it or not, um, the person who was assigned to be my mentor, who did not work in my line, was a lady called Claire Fitzpatrick, who you're aware of. This is 20 years ago. She just happens to be the, the, the country manager for BP Trinidad. Wow. Um, so she was my mentor 20 years ago. Um, so she would spend, you know, every month or two months just talking to me about, you know, the business and blah, 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 and, 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 and personal mentoring and career mentoring and so on. So really helped me back in those days. And, and then um, she left to join BP. Um, I then left, came back to Trinidad. And when I came back to Trinidad, I was the audit manager for BP Trinidad. But I wasn't, how best to put it, I was out of sync. I just felt like I moved back. I wanted to move back to Trinidad because my father gave me advice. They think, you know, it is good for professionals to go away, but why do you want to stay away? If you're going to learn a lot of these things, the country needs folks to come back in and help develop a country. Um, and, you know, my lineage, my father, my grandfather, my stepfather, they're all about how do we develop the country? So I guess that was indoctrinated into my blood from birth my DNA. And so I said, yeah, I'll come back and see how could I help or be part of building, you know, our country to become the best that we can be. So I moved back and, and within that framework, I, I didn't feel I was the place to achieve that as an instant young. So I spent six months at EY in Trinidad when I moved back and then I resigned without a job. Uh, and I just started looking um, and I joined a bank. Um, it was then RBTT, that's currently RBC in the investment bank, the, the division as an assistant vice president to grow the energy sector. So I spent about a year and a half there, but during that year and a half, you know, I um, we were quite instrumental in setting up a private equity fund. This is back in 2004, for 50 million US, which is called Prometheus, and it was a joint venture between then RBTT and Guardian Holdings, where each organization will contribute 25 million US to start investing in energy projects. Um, so that was really exciting because I, I'm really passionate about local content at the ownership level and how could so how could local investors invest in the sector. And the reason for that is quite simple, is that you, sh you, you should have a blend of local investors and international investors due to the scale of the projects. But the more local investors you have, you know, the more the money circulates in country, the more the foreign exchange stays in country, um, you have a different type of alignment. So having that mix is always good. Um, so I was passionate about you know, getting more local investors and it's what I call true local content. Um, so then 10 Degrees came to us for funding and I loved the idea and they, they, they asked me to join them. So I, I joined them as the CFO um, in 2005. I then became the CEO in 2008. And then I rebranded the company to Trinity, uh, came up with the name myself and the colors red, white and black. We then became the first company to list on the London Stock Exchange, um, raised over 90 million US. And all of the money I've raised in my career, it's been spent in Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which um, I'll come, come to that a bit later on. And Trinity was you know, moving ahead. And what we really wanted to, to do at Trinity was really create a, a local independent um, access to capital on the stock exchange uh, and to complement the, the majors um, with regards to onshore and offshore developments. Unfortunately, the oil prices were moved against us. We were a bit too aggressive, which was a learning lesson for me, um, in terms of being a bit too aggressive and biting off too much we could chew. 
Um, and then I elected, I said, listen, for various reasons, um, I elected to, to leave Trinity and create a private company. And I had an inflection moment in 2005, and I sat down and I came up with the idea of De Novo, you know, a fresh refresh, a new beginning, because I thought, you know, after 10 years in the sector, I needed to take a pause, a refresh, take the learnings from before, really assess where did I go wrong, my failures, embrace the failures, the mistakes I made, you know, there were good decisions, bad decisions, and, and how do I refine it and make sure that, you know, I don't make the same mistakes again. And that was the concept behind De Novo and behind the name De Novo, very importantly, a fresh renew and keep that way of thinking um, throughout the organization. Um, so after leaving Trinity, uh, I went out looking for funding globally and locally with, with institutions locally. And accidentally, I was able to meet with um, Promon, who were part of the process, and then they agreed to invest in De Novo. So they invested, um, uh, they took the, the gamble, invested. We were, they were really a financial investor and we had full autonomy over the business. And that allowed us to build a new model, which, was, which is technologically driven. Um, we are one of the lowest cost operators on the island, and we used technology extensively from day one, 2016. We built out our, our entire platforms, your cloud-based from 2017, 2018. But more importantly, we built everything from scratch. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, from our office, we started off with just our personal laptops. We had chairs and tables we bought from our home to start this company. Um, you know, we literally, everything was built from scratch, every policy, every procedure, every single thing. And it allows us to really challenge the status quo of, you know, we don't need to do it how we did it before. We could do it in how we should be doing it for the future. Um, and that thinking throughout the organization allowed us to really think differently um, as a team. And, and, and that has brought us to where we are. When, I, when we started the business, I didn't expect it to be where we are. And the message there is through the journey, we continuously learned. And, and that's been one big lesson for me um, in, in my life that you really learn through the journey and it's important to continuously learn. Um, so that has brought me to where I am now, bottom line in terms of where we are as an operator, an offshore operator, um, and we have to grow the business, we have to do new things and so on, which I'll talk about later, but that's a brief nutshell of my career. And what a nutshell that was because, you know, um, you really highlighted in terms of different experiences because i mean working for ey and then and then transitioning to um rbtt and then 10 degrees and trinity you know it, it, that group progression obviously would have been something um amazing to witness in your career i was listening to a couple of things that you're talking about and definitely networking and mentoring is one of your points i probably would like to start with what tips you could offer like young professionals who may be look may be looking at a certain prof ceo that they may want advice from yeah I think one of the common things we see as CEOs is nobody just wants to approach us to say, call and say, hey, I want to come and see you and have a chat because uh, the door is open, certainly with me and a lot of CEOs who are more than willing to create the time and spend the time. Of course, they can't do it for hundreds of people, but you'd be surprised how many people do not just call, you know, and, and, and they say they will and they don't. Um, I mean, I'll give one example of one individual who, um, who I, I who became a mentee by just being bold, and he was at St Mary's College, and I do career career guidance at St Mary's, and I went there and this form six student and Nisha knows him, Kalen, and he just stood up and said, you know, very remarkable story. He says, I want to I want to come and see you, 
and he called and he came and see me and we offered him an internship and he spent a year and a half and um, got live mentoring throughout the organization because he just just made the call. So I think if you find someone, it doesn't have to be a CEO, by the way. I mean, I have met, uh, one thing I've learned in mentoring, it's um, people think you need to go to the top and so on. You could have various types of mentors, right? I mean, and throughout my career, various types and not always CEOs or managers or, or priests or so on. You know, you had uncles, you had aunts, you had friends, you had different mentors for different situations. So, you know, you have to trust your instinct as, you know, who do you think will be the good mentor for you at that particular time in your life? Um, sometimes a mentor that, you know, you've had for a couple, for, for a while, may not be the right mentor for that particular situation. I mean, my, my parents are mentors, but I defied my father by joining 10 Degrees North. He was dead against me going into upstream. You know, his exact words, I remember it to the day, was I was home, I ran in my shirt to go to work, and he says, I told him, Dad, I'm leaving the bank. He's like, "You are you crazy? Are you mad? Are you, it's a stable company, it's a pensionable job. Are you, you know, my dad was a banker too, by the way. And it was almost as if I'm, I, I killed somebody, all right? <laughs> uh, and he said, you know, if you do that, I will not support you if it goes wrong. And and, and I never heard of that company and and it, blah, 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 and, and where it's located. And I don't know anybody. And it was, they, they, yeah, it was almost like, don't do it. And, you know, I had to say with that, I am going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to take that risk. I mean, if it fails, it fails. And one of the key things, the messages here is that, Mentoring is not necessary. The mentor doesn't need to tell you what to do. You have to take that information in and believe in yourself as to what you really want to do. And as Nisha said, you know, we are programming society, be a good engineer, be a good doctor, you know, be a good commercial advisor and, and follow the path, you know. And if you do well and your performance comes well, you get a salary increase, then you get promoted and all these lovely things. And that's fine if you want that route, right? Uh, but if you really want to be to, 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 to see your potential, sometimes you have got to take risks, personal risks, right? And only you will know at the right time with the right mentor and the conversation, you know, what to do. Um, and mentees can help guide you through that process. And I think that's very important. And having multiple for different reasons, because it's not just about career, it's a personal life, career, financial, you know, uh, friendship issues, different things, you know, you need, uh, you just need that person to bounce ideas off of you and help you articulate what you want to say, you know. So I say seek it out, uh, whether it be CEOs or whatever the case is, just go and talk to them. And, and you know what, the, 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 the interesting thing is it's fine time that, you know, the unique time, you know, it might be that your mentor walks around this about an afternoon, say, well, could I just come and walk with you? And it might be great, you know what I mean? It might be just different odd things. It doesn't have to be in the office. It could be, you know, very different ways, you know, and that's what I did. I found the kind of niches so that it's, it's not trying to find, you know, between 8 to 9 a.m. on his diary or her diary, you know, etc. You know, it's finding, you know, the what works for them and, and etc. And, and build that relationship. And, and don't be afraid. Don't view them as, oh, my God, I'm after coward. No, they're, they're humans like all of us. We're all humans. And they uh, just reach out. That's my message. I, I love the message, you know, and, and you really put something in perspective there. A mentor doesn't um, just have to look at like your work aspect but also the other um aspects of your life as a young professional you know you require that mentorship in terms of sometimes work-life balance might be an issue as well too you know and understanding like how you deal with stress how you deal with failure definitely here in your timeline of events and um trying to probably transitioning from like trinity to 
to De Novo. I, I mean, to start up that company, like how how did you manage stress levels? I'm assuming that you know everything would have been on the line, basically, you know, and um, understand how you. Yeah, everything was on the line. Uh, yeah, literally. Um, you know, I had a newborn son who was about a year and a half old at that time, two years. Um, I wasn't sure De Novo would work. Um, the oil prices were at all time low. Probably the worst time to raise money. Probably the worst time to start a business was that. Um, um, you know, I, I I spoke to my wife and said, listen, uh, quite frankly, we have X amount uh, to survive, to save well, savings, etc. And if it doesn't materialize in that time frame, you know, we probably have to sell the apartment and go back and live with either my dad, my mom, or if my dad had space and go back and live at home and recalibrate. You know, um, and yeah, I had to make that decision to say, well, that is a real possibility and to accept that reality up front uh, as against just trying to maintain the status quo. So then trying to maintain the status quo, I don't think you could achieve the the change you want to see because you get very comfortable in your current status quo. You know, you start off, my first salary was $1,200 a month. Uh, I wish I could live on that right now. I'd be <laughs> a very happy man. Um, but you know what, as things go back, you make more money and I could have maintained that status quo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly was tough. Uh, it took a toll on my health, uh, a real, real toll on my health, and which is was a bad thing then for my health. But the good thing, actually, I looked at mortality. The fact that, you know, I have a phrase I use, you know, at the end of the day, the king and the pawn go back in the same box. And death is a great equalizer. And we don't talk about death, but it is a great equalizer because everyone dies. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, we know that's the most certain thing in life. And then, you know, I recalibrated my health. Um, so it's, it's really good to start focusing on healthy living. And um, I drive that through the organization, by the way, um, the novo of healthy eating. You know, we, we brought on nutritionists to focus on, you know, nutrition eating, managing stress. We had a yoga teacher, you know, do classes during COVID that manage stress, as you said. And, you know, it's, it's changing the whole we are thinking to create a holistic individual. So even though it was hard during those times of building the Novo, now when I look back on it, I was like, well, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have changed to where I am now. Um, and I think that, you know, that process helped make me a slightly better person. Um, even though when you're in it, it just looks like hell. You know, literally, <laughs> you're in office at six o'clock in the morning, it's 7 p.m. at night, it's just, you know, you have real challenges and you're just like, you just head down. But you know, when you look back and step back, you could say, wow, okay, if that did not happen, then I wouldn't be focusing on my health. I won't be focusing on that. And, you know, maybe, you know, organizations to look at employee health very differently, which is something that uh, I went through the end of last year, stating, well, we want a healthy employee, not because we want them to be more productive, but we want them to live a longer life. You know, I love all my employees to live till 100, right? Uh, and if they can, it'll be great because, you know, they live a longer life, a healthier life versus, you know, uh, dying early, whatever the case is. So that's the objective. And if they do that, they'll feel better about themselves. If they feel better about themselves, then they'll feel better about work. If they feel better about work, they'll be more productive. They'll be more fun to work with. Then you get a better product, you get more ideas, and it becomes self-fulfilling, you know? So so I've realized taking that holistic approach is equally important, not just striving work. It's a holistic view on life. Um, And that's what also COVID reinforced that. So it's, you know, uh, but, that's a different story. So, so that's the thing. It was tough. I did go through financial stress. I did go through health stress. You know, 
you know, all those sort of things. It's, it's, it's part, it's, it is part of the course. Um, and having that support network to say, yeah, you know, we're behind you is important. I love how you said the holistic approach, you know, because sometimes, you know, as, as young professionals, we might just have like a, a tunnel vision, but looking at that big picture, you know, and seeing how things could unfold is something that uh, I also believe is that there should be a focus on as well, too, because as you said, if you yourself can't take care of yourself as a person, you know, you will be able to support your family if you're always sick, etc., in the job. So and it's something I think we kind of tend to bypass because of the time we're in, you know, there's so much distractions, you know, instead of probably taking a jog, you might watch, watch, binge watch some Netflix episodes. One other thing I wanted to also look at is in terms of, we talked about stress, but, you know, how, in, like, in terms of failure and addressing failure, like, what were some of your coping mechanisms to to keep you going? Because I know, obviously, um, you know, again, um, through, through your journey, you know, there, there would have obviously been bumps. And, you know, sometimes you may look at it as in terms of, I maybe I should just quit, you know, and and just get a regular job because uh, obviously you came out of your comfort zone, setting up the new one, you know, just to get either. What what was some of your mechanisms that you used that kept you going and uh, helped you avoid being burnt out on your on your dream, on your vision, on your goal? Yeah, no problem. First, I would say is uh, in going into it um, at the beginning, I realized that I will fail at certain things. So the message is, you will fail at certain things, right? Uh, and that's okay. How you deal with it is the important part, right? Uh, so coming out of it, you know, it was very hard because you think you're making right decisions and you only, you, you only know about failure after the fact, right? Or hindsight is a hell of a thing. So it's how you really embrace it. How do you take accountability for it and responsibility and say, you know, that, that, that happened under my watch, right? Uh, so and I, I made a I made a mistake I made an error. Um, now you can defend it as much as you want and say based on it, but, but that's that's not the issue. Is you know that this happened under my watch and I take responsibility for that, right? Now how am I going to avoid making the same mistake again, right? And, and that's the message. You know it's it can be small failures, big failures. You know once it's not done with nefarious intentions, uh, once your morals and values are intact, it's fine. Things move against you. Things happen. Right, um, uh, that's that's just life. You know, you can't really foresee everything, um, but things may not go as planned, and you may fail, and that's fine. That is fine. You know, and the more failures you have, and the more times you bounce back, you're not going to make the same mistake twice. And you will become a better person, and you will move forward. But accept it, take responsibility, and find a solution. I mean, that's what I had to do, and that's what that that was a big learning experience, and. And the, the, the big one about it is actually humility, right? Uh, truth be told, you know, coming out of St. Mary's College and these colleges, you know, I had a sense of arrogance. Um, some people still say I'm arrogant, but I learned through failure that, you know, you're not, you're not the best of the best of the best, right? Uh, and it really taught me again about humility um, and, and brought me back to my roots from my grandmother, my mother, especially. Um, those two ladies, you know, it, it, it really brought me back to my roots and, 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 and made me more realistic, if you want to put it that way, um, and recalibrated that whole side of, you know, really humility, that whole concept of humility and the fact that, you know, we're not the brightest of the bright, we need a team. Uh, you're all going to make mistakes and that's fine, but the better the team you have, the less mistakes you'll make. Um, and that was a big lesson as well. If you look at anybody who, 
gives you advice in terms of how to overcome failure, you know, is is it, you put it simple, you accept it, you take responsibility and you find a solution to 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 move forward where you could put your energy in into making things right, you know. And as you rightly said, in, in life, you know, you will feel at certain things. Nobody's perfect. And I think uh, as young professionals, especially, I guess, in our society, so it's still something that we always try to be the best. We always try to to, to strive. And and when you feel at something, you know, you, you think of yourself sometimes as a loser because you didn't get through. But I think it's, we have to change that kind of cultural um, that cultural train of thought, you know, because failure is like you just learned a lesson. As you said, you know, once you understand um, and you reflect and you learn a lesson, you can understand how to improve moving forward, and that is part of continuous learning, you know. And and definitely, as you bring up continuous learning, you know, what are some of the, in terms of continuous learning, like some of these skills, because obviously a lot of us within the industry right now, with, with advances in technology to, to policies globally, to market needs, you know, we, we ourselves have to start retooling ourselves to be adapt for this changing world that's being dictated, especially industry, I should say, that's being dictated by climate change, the climate change agenda. So in, in your eyes, like what are some of these skills you think like young professionals um, would require, you know, in terms of um, if, if they will learn to be part of this, this world that, that's being looked at um, for adapting to climate change? So a couple of points here. I think we need to understand the big picture um, with regards to climate change, how quickly it will occur, uh, where we sit in Trinidad and Tobago, et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily just how best to put it up, uh, go with the, 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 the flap. What do I mean by that is climate change will happen, right? Uh, we have to reduce our carbon emissions and that will happen, but it will take time. The reality is when you look at the the global energy mix, all right, 90% of the energy generated globally still comes from coal, oil, and gas. Coal still accounts for about 35%, if I remember the figures correctly, in that vicinity of uh, energy used, for, uh, uh, the source for energy, coal, which is the dirtiest form. Oil mm. is still very high in gas. Renewables account for about 10%, and out of that 10%, hydro, high, uh, hydroelectric, hydropower, sorry, accounts right. for about 6%, right? Now, renewables are growing at a very quick rate, right? But to replace that 90% will take time. So as a, as, a, as a young professional, you have to choose where do you sit and how would this take place? Um, and it will take place very quickly, don't get me wrong. Now, as it applies to Trinidad, is how are we going to, what do you want to do in Trinidad and how quickly can we replace our resources in Trinidad? From our perspective, you know, I think we, we do have uh, a little while to go before we move away entirely from oil and gas. I think gas will be the bridging fuel of the future. So I think, you know, you'll see more gas utilization uh, or more gas being used for power uh, as the energy mix changes uh, as a bridging fuel till you get to renewables. I will see coal re being reduced uh, and oil somewhere in the middle. Uh, so for a professional, it's almost stating well, where do you really want to sit? Right. Uh, the other part is understanding the commercial aspect of the business, as, as you would know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whilst you might be an engineer, a mechanical engineer or a petroleum engineer, it's, it's, you know, really understand the commerciality and commercial issues that, that these things face will give you a good understanding of, you know, where it's going to go in, in, in reality. Um, and that also leads me to another point of, 
you know, whilst you'll have a core discipline, it is really important to really get to understand the bigger picture as much as possible. You know, so even if you're a plant operator or a technical engineer on the plant, you know, try to understand the commercial issues, engage your commercial teams, have cross learnings, right? Because that is equally important because it impacts your role. And it also impacts where you can go and, and what may end up to you in the future. Um, so, specifically as related to climate change, I mean, I can tell you from the Nova perspective, our Zandali project, which is the next field we'll be developing, we have just completed feed on the, the top side uh, uh, offshore platform. And hopefully we'll be the first ever to have a fully, uh, what do you call it, platform which will be fully powered by renewables, right? Uh, so it's going to be solar and wind. Um, mind you, it's small, it's not big, but uh, it will be an offshore installation. It will be a man and it'll be solely powered by, by uh, solar and, and wind thus far. So it's passed through feed. Um, so let's see how it goes. And our objective is for that to happen. Uh, so that's 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 our core objective. And that's what the director. So if you can achieve that, you know, it's, it's it's also reducing the carbon footprint by not generating power through either gas or uh, fuel oil. So so that's one step in the right direction, hopefully. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're starting from that perspective and seeing how we could work. And if it can and we could expand that, then you know what you hopefully could see is unmanned platforms that are powered by solar and wind going forward to the extent that it's feasible. Uh, but we it is feasible for us and it's going through our feed process. Um, so that's 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 how we're starting to adapt. Um, from a longer term, we have to look at some other projects, but you know I, I can't disclose that as yet. But you know uh, certainly we're starting on that footprint. Wow, that that's that's great to hear actually. Um, because there there's that um, there's that drive, especially within the oil and gas sector, as you rightly said. Um, to to see how we can limit emissions and and try and make the sector more green as well too. There there's a big drive because we will still be using oil and gas products within the next um 20, 30, 40 years. That is for sure. But it's how we can lower um, the carbon footprint required to produce these pro products is what is um, definitely going forward, you know. And um, I just want, want to ask if, if, if you all ever looked at, is a new buzz within the industry, but looking like hydrogen, because um, definitely hydrogen is something. I know there's a project that's supposed to be launched in Trinidad as something else that you could probably look at. And it's something that's been looked up in Europe and um, in the US and Australia in terms of um, actually as feedstock for for pet, petrochemical plants like ammonia plants, etc. And I think it's, a, it's also an interesting project, uh, well, interesting technology to also look at going forward as well too, in terms of uh, looking at renewables, because a, a lot of people focus normally 10, when you say renewables, you know, it's on wind and solar. There are other technologies out there that, that, that needs that em embracing as well too. Um, carbon capture and storage is another one that's um, that's that's also being talked about. But in terms of action, you know, and, and getting it over the line, that's a different conversation. But uh, it was just something um, when you when you spoke about looking at like solar and wind, it popped up as well um, from from your discussion uh, that I said it might be good to also look at hydrogen. I'm not sure if you're looking at it. But so it was I think I think hydrogen has a lot of potential, um, and I, I I look forward to see what new gen. Uh, comes up with uh, going forward. Uh, so uh, very excited as a national to see that that company being formed and moving ahead. Um, and I really look forward to see what what happens um, going forward on that on that on that front. 
Uh, I think it's a great opportunity, especially with Europe and green ammonia, um, Europe being leaders. Uh, uh, so I think very excited about that to see what, what happens in that technology space. Uh, one of the key things will be the commerciality of, of any project with regards to hydrogen. So look forward to see what happens on the commercial space as well. Uh, but I think any commercial challenges could be overcome over time. We're nearly out of time, um, but one more question I want to ask is really, I know as your experience, three experience, right, um, in terms of pitching like new ideas, right, um, definitely that is one of the, the fundamentals that will kind of set the tone, especially for any new project or any new initiative that you look to do. What advice you could give um, young professionals in terms of like pitching ideas, because especially ideas to engage particular audiences in, in terms of buying into your vision because obviously I, I um, from research you know with the novo you know in terms of pitching the idea it, it wasn't it didn't you had pitched it to a couple of groups but it only caught on to a certain group and um you said it changed the way how you pitched it you know so I just wanted to find out like what advice you give to other young um in entrepreneurs who would also would like to hear your thoughts on it yeah, I think it's sometimes we get, you know, overly excited that we have the best idea um, and we see it from our 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 lens, our eyes, right? Not seeing it from the investor perspective. So flipping it and seeing, you know, what 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 does the investor, what do investors really want? You know, it may not it may not only be a return, it may be something else, it may be other things. So really doing your homework to who you're pitching to as to what are their objectives? Right, it's not always clear what it may be, and you may assume what it is. You know, it may be assume I did this project, the IRR is 15%. This person must love that. It's not always that. So really understanding you and potential investors important, and doing a lot of homework, you know, uh, about them beforehand is critical. And that's one thing. Um, and the network around it, so that your credibility is well understood. Because the big thing is credibility, you know, so someone will say, well, why, why you? Have you done it before? Uh, why am I going to trust you with my money? Right. Uh, and that's a very, very important hurdle to cross. And and to be quite honest, you know, that's built up over time uh, of who you were from when you were a teenager, etc. So the message for the younger folks is the things that you do now, people remember, you know, you remember your uh, your your friend's daughter, who might or son might be 10 years now, how they're moving and 25. So all these little things add up over time, right? And, and networking is important to go to, 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 to conferences and so on, right? But certainly within a small, and the world is small, especially the energy sector. I gave you the example of Claire Fitzpatrick. You know, if I was a total idiot 20 years ago, you know, <laughs> what would be my reputation on the island 20 years later, right? So you don't know what could happen. You don't know who could be where, who could be what. So so start building a network as young as possible with your friends, your mates, colleagues, etc. Um, uh, be humble. You don't know who will be a minister of whatever. You just don't know, right? Um, uh, be authentic in everything that you do, and you will eventually get through, right? Um, so those are the soft points, uh, and it's already soft points that catch a lot of people, right? Uh, they really, really saw, and that's 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 what I think a, a greater focus needs to be on. You know, I can't say you must get an IRR over 15% and you must have cash flow projections. All those are a business plan. You know, you, everyone goes to town on that, right? Uh, right? It's really connecting with that investor that they trust you, that they see that you're really authentic 
it can be an authentic idiot, it can be authentic, but that you're authentic, right? Uh, and that, you know, you deliver what you say you will do. Uh, and even if you have problems, that they trust that you will solve those problems and not run away. Those are the big things I would say that, you know, you need to have when you really, really pitching products, projects and so on. Yeah, d- definitely. And, and and that credibility is, is something that is, um, is, is seen essential, especially, um, you know, um, working on projects, you know, because you want to make sure, I guess investors want to make sure that they are putting their money in the right place, you know, and, and that is where believing in you. So definitely um, some good advice there in terms of understanding when you do um, your pitches, you know, because I think within 30 seconds, you know, and I believe they call it like an elevator pitch, you know, people cannot get a sense if they would want to be a part of whatever you're trying to sell, um, whether it's a product or a service, etc. So, you know, understanding um, their background and, and, and connecting with them, you know, as you say, it's not always about numbers and, and definitely how the industry is changing as well too. Um, it, it, it's beyond numbers these days, you know, because there's that whole trilemma effect where, you know, you're looking at the social aspect and, and, and you look at the environmental aspect as well too. Triple bottom line is what they like to call it um, in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it is. It was. It was great. Um, but also, I think just to end, very few people hit the number spot on on a project or a business, right? So every right. investor knows that. So, you know, as you put the projections, their projections with assumptions, right? They'd be like, yes, it's great, but it's like, well, you know, in reality, it hopefully get there. But can that individual make sure you succeed? So just to just to reinforce that point. So as we close off this week's episode, I would like to thank Monty for being a guest. And I also like to thank all our loyal listeners for continuing to listen, learning, sharing, and subscribing to our show. And I would like to thank our editing team, led by Timothy Skinner, for the edits you have done on our episodes. And join us next time on beyond the rig where we will be having a conversation with lawrence arun the ceo of the heroes foundation